Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched Edge of Tomorrow, directed by Doug Lyman and released in 2014. The plot of Edge of Tomorrow goes something like this. An army officer relives the same day over and over again, resetting every time he dies battling aliens until he works out how to defeat them. Otherwise known as Tom Cruise Vehicle 2014. Okay. 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 So, it's actually, it's sort of like District 9 and Saving Private Ryan and Groundhog Day all in one movie (laughs) is how I thought of it. But the thing is, I would have loved this movie. I would have gotten right into it if it had had anybody other than Tom Cruise in the lead. Hmm. I really enjoyed this a lot. Like, I had a lot of fun watching it. And I think I would have had, like, ten times more fun watching it if it had had somebody really fun and that I liked and that I could connect with in any way in the lead other than Tom Cruise. You know where I really bought Tom Cruise, though? As a smarmy army PR guy who doesn't want to go to war. Like, he was playing the same role he's played since 1983. But as you know, I missed that bit. I missed the first five minutes of this movie. (laughs) right. Okay, so, so the first 10 minutes where he's like the smarmy army guy, perfect casting. Like you can totally see it happening. You could totally see it. You know, he might, It might be Scientology, but you can see him out the front there PRing his little ass off. <laughs> and so for that, that moment, that was just perfect casting. And again, he plays exactly the same role he's played in every other Tom Cruise movie since um, Risky Business, like. Which is the overly cocky guy who gets his comeuppance and has to learn See, how to I be think, humble. I think Tom Cruise was a good actor until around the mid-90s. Like, he acted. He wasn't just playing that role. He did acting. I remember that I used to connect with him in roles. Like, he used to have some sort of... Now, I watched him in that, that scene in the warehouse with Emily Blunt, and I was like... He dead eyes. It's like watching those animated, you know, CG animated movies. Yeah. That like used to have that dead eyes problem. That's what I have with actual Tom Cruise person in the role. Dead eyes. There was no emotional connection there at all. Like he's doing, he's going through all the motions, but I felt nothing. Mm. And that was a real shame for me because I really enjoyed this movie and I would like to talk a little bit about why. Um, I enjoyed it too. So go ahead. Two main reasons why I enjoyed this movie were Emily Blunt, who is oh kick-ass as this, like, um, hardcore army officer. She gets a lot of action to do, like, way more than sort of Tom Cruise does, at least to begin with. And she got so ripped. She got so ripped. Oh, I'm I'm really big on women with big, muscly arms. She just looks amazing, and I want arms like that. It makes me want to work out. Um, And the other reason... Um, in terms of at least the casting and the acting, was Bill Paxton. Yes! <laughs> yes. Bill Paxton was killing it in this movie. He had this, like, relatively small role, and every single second he was on the scene, I was just, like, delighted. And he basically had to do the same thing over and over again. He didn't. But he does all he, these little reaction shots, yeah. you know, like whenever Tom Cruise surprises him, and he's just like, I don't know what to do with this information. And it's so great. <laughs> yeah. Like, every time, every time he's in the scene, it's something new. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even though it's supposed to be the same scene played out over and over again, it's because of Bill Paxton that it's sold as something new, mm. you know? And, when, and they did that really well. I can remember when I watched Groundhog Day for the first time getting really bored with that. And, yeah, I know, I, 
it was I was very small. I was like twelve. Oh. Um, and you don't get bored at all with the replaying the same day. They do it very cleverly. I think part of Groundhog Day is that you're meant to get bored with it because you're meant to be feel like him, like so that you can recite the lines, you know. And I, yeah. I got that a little bit in this one. Well, they they but they were they fun just, lines to they, recite, right? But they largely <laughs> like, tried to stay away from that trap, though. You get the idea that he's done it more times than we actually see, and also you see just slightly different versions of it each time. Hmm. There were some lines that I really liked, particularly from Bill Paxton, when because he has he's one of these army officers that have these grand philosophical ideas, mm. but no intelligence to back it up. Yeah, yeah, right. Like he, he and he does it so a well. blowhard. He's, yeah, he's a blowhard, but he's like he genuinely believes in what he's saying. Right, right, and he genuinely believes in you know in being brave and and going into battle, and that battle is the true um what's the word test of character. No, no, no. Leveler, not leveler. Oh, the, like the great equal um, equalizer. equalizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing. Like he says that sort of thing and you know that he believes it with every single pore in his being. He has this great moustache. He has this great accent going on. Mm. The accent is terrific, doesn't slip up. It's like spot on. Right. Bill Paxton in this movie is like a gift, man. He's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. I so enjoyed him doing this role. And the other thing is Emily Blunt. Now, I liked also the – the idea has been done a lot before, mm-hmm. but this did it really well. Right. And I feel like I would really enjoy the comic book that this was from because mm. I could kind of see some of these ideas coming through. All you need is kill. All you need is kill, which is a million times better as a title than the idiotic, forgettable line, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, there's so much about this movie that makes it look really generic like the fact that it's tom cruise playing the same role the title which is so boring it could be any other big sci-fi and it's really sad because it's an interesting story it explores some really interesting issues i have this theory that they wouldn't have made this movie unless tom cruise was in it getting all the funding for it but then in order for to have that happen they also had to make it more generic right and it's sort of funny because Tom Cruise is one of the few people who can actually get a big sci-fi movie like this funded. Well, that's the thing at the moment. I, I, I wrote this at the end of my review. Hang on. I wrote, oh, I didn't, it I would be significantly it. better without him if they could have raised the money to get it without his involvement. Is this the trade-off we have to live with now? You can have cool sci-fi, but it has to star the cruiser mm. is what I wrote. Right. Like, that's our trade-off now, right? Yeah. Like um, good, interesting, big sci-fi ideas. Yep come with this trade-off of you have to watch Tom Cruise for two hours. I, and at the end, when I noticed who the director was, Doug Lyman, I was like, oh, that I really like that guy. He made the Bourne movies. Yeah. And he he does well, I think. He does yeah. a really good job in this because there is that balance. There's this comedic and dark balance as well. Like there's some scenes that I thought were hilarious. Now, I was laughing really hard and the entire theater around me wasn't laughing at all. So I don't know if it was unintentional comedy or... Or they were just humorless. Right. Like, I don't know if they had no sense of humor because I laughed, mm. especially at Bill Paxton things. Oh, he was hilarious. Yeah, I kept laughing at these little things that he did or, or like this moment, you know, when Tom Cruise goes in and he, he shakes everything up by just being really excited to be there. Right. That scene. And it isn't so much Tom Cruise's reactions, but Bill Paxton's, mm. where he's just like, what are you doing? This isn't what it says on my sheet. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> That, like, cracked me up. Yeah. Um, The other people are all okay. By the way, Jonas Armstrong, who um, I don't know if you watched Robin Hood, the BBC series. Oh, Katie. 
Are you kidding? That's where I got into Ramitage. He's in this movie. Yeah, I know. I didn't recognize him till I saw his name in the credits. I had no idea. Um, it's also got a couple of Australian actors in it. Mm. Um, Kick Gurry. something Kick Gurry. and uh, Noah Taylor. Thank you. <laughs> who gets to play the scientist? Who does quite a good job as a scientist, but he's more or less forgettable. He's basically doing the same role he did in um, the Lara Croft movies, and he, I think he's done in other movies as well. Yeah, I guess he looks nerdy now. But um, it was nice to have uh, because. Much like Pacific Rim, this is like this United Nations force of people fighting. It was nice to have actual Australian accents. Yeah, Such but excite. there's like no, there's one black guy. Mm. Everybody else is white. I, I liked the way that it sort of drew you into this day. The first day was quite long, so you really get a sense of what's going on. They tell you about the aliens, and the aliens look really cool. Mm. The aliens were very well realized, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got this like intimate knowledge of them like you knew when they were coming you knew how they moved i thought that was really good well yeah the world building and the different levels of alien and yeah yeah the world building is really good in this um especially that there's the day that he takes off yep (laughs) although i have to admit i was really confused because i was like hang on aren't they in normandy why is everybody at the pub british (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But they actually start out in Britain and then right. get he, he, transported to Normandy for the yeah. It, well, um, yeah. it's no accident that this movie was released on just to coincide with the anniversary of the D-Day landings. The war stuff is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Those scenes are really good, especially getting to see Emily Blunt in there because it's a really good visual of girls in war. Oh, she's wonderful. She's the most decorated soldier in the army. Yeah, and she is the most badass soldier in the army. And their exoskeletons that they fight in are really cool too. Mm. And also it's established that she's uh, like a war hero as well, which well, I love that. Loved I that. kind of like the Angel of Verdun full metal bitch thing. Mm. Like mm-hmm. those are the two names that she gets called, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and it's it's spray painted on buses and and that sort of thing, and she mm. doesn't like being called it, which is fair enough because it's awful. But right. it's also really, like, it's interesting because there's still that kind of sexism about around her mm. being there, but then everybody also really really respects her. Yeah, um, it seemed like a very real sort of portrayal of women in war. Well, yeah, because it's still, it's actually one of the few situations where it's a realistic reflection of what life is like in the army for women, that there really only are two women in the team. Mm. Mm. There's a couple of others that you see in the background, which I appreciated. Mm. Like they actually, they seem to put some effort into background Mm. casting to not make it the way that it usually is. Like they actually, you can see women in the background doing stuff. Although as, I think we brought this up in um, Captain America, actually, the army is not nearly that white. Uh, The racism, I think we talked about a bit. So yeah, it's racist, but... And she's so good. But I don't think it passes the Bechdel test. I wouldn't come close. No, but I don't think that that necessarily means it's not a feminist movie either because Emily Blunt, her role in this is better than Marco Mori's apart from the fact that she, for some reason she kisses Tom Cruise. Oh, Did that, that come out of nowhere no to you? no sense. They have zero chemistry, but she's she knows she's going to die, so she kisses him. And I'm like, really? You know what? They have wonderful friend chemistry. As a bro TP, I'm all for it, but zero romantic chemistry. Do you know why that rubbed me the wrong way? Really rubbed me the wrong way? Was that she ended up being like a trophy for him. Mm. That was why it really bothered me, was because she ended up being like a prize. Like, congratulations, you get a kiss from the hot girl. Good job growing as a person kind of a thing, you know? Like, it didn't... It, It didn't. Sit, it didn't sit right. It just it felt like it was 
tacked on. It was like, well, this is a Tom Cruise movie, so he has to get the girl. Yeah. I think all of this stuff kind of comes from that problem of casting Tom Cruise in the lead. Um, and, and they have these great scenes where she just like, I love those scenes where he's, where they're training. Mm. And every time that he sort of hurts himself or she gets annoyed with him or nothing's happening, she just kills him and, and starts, starts again. I know. And he's like, no, no, wait, I only broke my leg. And she's she like, boom, <laughs> you're gone, buddy. That's great. And then like the scene, I love how that comes back in the scene where he's in hospital and she's just like, okay, time to die. And he's like, no, no, wait, you can't kill me. I have new blood. After that, it kind of, the ending kind of goes downhill. Mm. The last sort of 10 minutes of it, my credulity was gone. Well, it just doesn't, it's just like he kills the thing and then he resets to this point, but he has, when he resets, killed the thing, like, less of a problem than the fact that there's that scene where he's being dragged by the ship mm. and he's like like hitting everything and being dragged along by his arm and then he gets up. <laughs> I'm fine. And even before that, like they're being knocked around in the ship and yeah. everything's crashing and there's concrete falling down on them. They get up, no, we're fine. <laughs> like, And you're like, Because uh-huh. up until that point you believed everything because he just kept dying. Yeah. So, like, there wasn't any of that crap because no. you were just like, oh, well, if he breaks his leg, they shoot him and start yeah, over. Yeah, but, but that's the whole point. Once he can't die anymore, he, the stakes are raised. Yes, but the stakes should have actually been raised instead of him just becoming randomly invincible, <laughs> right? And then he's underwater and he swims for five minutes. Oh, I know. What? That's the stuff that really, like, because mm. everything up until that point, it kind of felt a bit like sunshine, actually. Everything up until that point was fine. Mm. And then suddenly something happened in the end where you're like, oh, for God's sake. And I was really kind of hoping they would both die when they decided to attack the Omega. Yes. Yay. Um, the Omega and the Omega alien, which is the one that has the power to reset time, but then Tom Cruise steals it by killing an alpha instead of a beta alien. All of this stuff is explained in the movie and done really well. Um but when they decide to attack the Omega, I was like, she says neither one of us is getting out of here alive. And I would like, wouldn't I was like, wouldn't that be great? I yeah, I agree. It, and that's that's what I'm talking about when I, the ending is just too convenient that it resets again and they get to be alive. And I'm like, no, no. It kind of would have been a nice message that they did sacrifice themselves for this. They're soldiers. And then they don't do anything with it anyway. Mm. Like they don't all they do is have it the happy ending for no reason. It's like the kiss. I obviously didn't Google this before, but apparently the main character in All You Need Is Kill is a guy called KG, who I'm guessing doesn't look like Tom Cruise. No, I'm guessing not. Ooh, I'm so much angrier about it now. <laughs> like the the fact that it was race, um, that it was whitewashed. Yes. So that they could have Tom Cruise in it again. Mm. Like, how great would this movie have been with somebody like Hiroyuki Sanada or, um, or, um, what did we just see? Godzilla. You just saw. Oh, you didn't see it? I haven't seen Godzilla, no. Oh. Who's Ken Watanabe? How great would it have been You're with right. somebody else in really the lead? Like, but you know, it would oh. never have gotten any money. Yeah, that's the, pro- that's, that's, I know. It's, it's the whole problem. I, I get it. Like, cause Tom Cruise is the worst part of this movie. Hands down to me, the worst part of this movie. Everything else is at least fun. Even when it's silly, it's fun. But the rest of it is quite, you go along with it Mm. and it's really enjoyable and Bill Paxton is there killing it. And like, you know, the the beach scenes, the bit where Tom Cruise runs around the ring where the people are in and he shoots all that. How cool is that? I know. How cool is it when Emily Blunt gets her like blade thing out and hacks off all of the 
tentacles from the mimics and stuff, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. that scene where they, I was going to talk about this earlier, but the scene where they're, where he's in London and they come up the Thames and he's on the bridge mm. was fantastic. Yep. Like, you can totally see why he had a change of heart after that. Right, yes. Because that's his turning point. Up until that point, he's like, why am I doing all this? And then he sees that happen. And he's got like, I've got to and make this stop. And that is scary. And it is scary in a way that just an ordinary explosion or something wouldn't be mm. because of that. And it, all it is is just the movement of them in the water. Well, because we've established these creatures and the way they move and the way you can't understand them. And he, he thinks also that landing in Normandy and whatever is the only way to do it. And that's that's a turning point for him when he realizes that He's got to actually get off the beach or get them off the beach. There's also something about it that I've discovered since I read Ender's Game, which I apologize. I know Orson Scott Card is a horrible person, but there's a lot of these movies like District 9 and like this that seem to have gotten their cues in terms of how to write aliens from Ender's Game. Ah. Because the aliens in Ender's Game are so alien and they're bug-like and they have this bug-like society where, like, the um the bathers, the 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 aliens that they send out aren't really sentient, like ants, hmm. right? So they're not re- – but then there's one that's like their leader. Yep. And she's the sentient one and she is connected with all of them telepathically, <laughs> which both this and um, District 9 seem to owe a, a debt of creativity to. Uh-huh. The thing about Ender's Game is that it doesn't read anything like what Orson Scott Card's politics are. And actually, to be fair – um, Edge of Tomorrow doesn't read anything like what Tom Cruise's politics are. Um, but, you know, there's that. Wow. Um, now, what Tom Cruise's politics are and what Tom Cruise thinks his politics are actually should two different things. Anyway. Probably. Well, that seems like the same thing with Orson Scott Card, to be fair. Yeah. Like, he's a nut job. They both got some really crazy beliefs, both him right. and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is a lot more, well, Tom Cruise seems more normal. I think he's just better at acting normal um but <laughs> that's the, the thing- greatest performance tom cruise has put on over the last 30 years it's not playing tom cruise in every movie it's being tom cruise in real life yeah it is right yeah um but the other thing about it is that the whole book is about not judging people <laughs> right and like trying to talk to people before you kill them and not judging them because they're different to you oh. that's what ender's game is about that sounds lovely yeah <laughs> But going back to this movie, which I think actually might have some similarities with that, hmm. I think basically Doug Lyman, Emily Blunt, and Bill Paxton save this. Yep. But I hate it so much more now that I know it's so whitewashed. And Emily Blunt is such a good Rita too. Like she is um, – it's this role that you very rarely get to see in movies for women, mm. right? Like she's the muscle. She's the tough guy. Well, she's who, the Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. There's this Vin Diesel movie that's really crappy that I remember <laughs> oh, that yay. seems – appropriate here i think jupiter ascending kind of reminds me of it a little bit actually um which is coming out soon the trailers for it remind me of it where like she's the trainer protector she's the one who has to train him and look out for him and be responsible for him and like it's such a guy role right which is why it's so disappointing when she kisses him later on because you're like that is not the way I'd conceived this relationship for the last nine-tenths of the movie. No, because even before that, there's this movie that you think is going to come out romantic, but it come, it turns out that she's actually just seeing through him. Mm. And it's great. Yeah. So why does she kiss him? There's no reason to kiss him. No, it's ridiculous. Unless you just sort of go, it's a friendship kiss, and decide to read it that way, 
You've seen it. There's, there's been these like straight dude army movies where they end up kissing each other on the forehead. Look at Boromir and Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, right? I've decided not to think about it as a romantic thing anymore because I refuse to believe that Emily Blunt Blunt's role in this movie is not above all that. I wish we'd gotten a little more of, was it J, J Troop? The ragtag bag of outsiders. Yeah, they were great. They right? were fantastic. There's the the girl had some cool name. Nance. Played by Charlotte Riley. There you go. I would have liked to see more of her because she yeah, was like she this, looked cool. But she was also the, like this kind of she was a girl grunt basically. Yeah, like, she wasn't very bright. She was southern. She was this girl who like they usually get guys to play that role in in mm. army movies, and she yeah. got to do it. And it wasn't even like she's a girl kind of role, you know? No, she wasn't playing the girl. She was playing the slightly dumb southern one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, she's it was, British. Um, <laughs> there you go. She played Kathy in Wuthering Heights on TV. There you go again. Um, anyway, she was great. Like, yeah, and yeah, yeah. that I would have liked to see a little bit more of them because they were fun. And there was that scene where they were all eating the cards and mocking him. And yes. I was like, because you're so with them at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, because he's such a twerp. Yeah, that he's yes, he's and playing Tom Cruise, and he thinks he's above them. And mm. they're like, you're not above us. And even though they're kind of dumb and crazy, and then he turns out to be crazy too. So it all works out well. Brendan Gleeson was kind of phoning it in, I thought. Yeah, no. Um, what else did I like? Oh, how great was it when she said the line, um, come find me when you wake up? How great was that? Yeah. I wish it hadn't been in the trailer. I kind of knew she was going to be, like, I would have known she was going to be the person who would figure it out, but I didn't want to be spoiled for that moment because it's such a cool moment. Mm. Um, well, and it would have been great in the movie. We've been with him now through a couple of regenerations and he really isn't, he hasn't quite worked out what's going on and then... When that happens and she says it to him, he's like, <gasps> and it's a turning point for him. I love the the way the gradual build, the slow build of it mm. was so good. Like the, they, it really felt like him working it out. Yep. And then she gets into it and she has to work it out with him. Like it didn't feel like there were any plot points handed to them. And of course she's hamstrung by the fact that she's not living every day over again. So she has to work it out every day again for herself. And there is a bit of exposition where she's like, oh, I, I did it. And then I saw some visions and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But even that feels like the characters are working things out for themselves. There's no deus ex machina there. No, no. Well, that's what's really good about it is that they have to solve their own problems and get through this. And it's sort of a, like I said before, it's not, not an accident. This has come out on the anniversary of D-Day. It's about the sort of individual people that make up soldiers. It's like individual soldiers working through problems and thinking strategically and figuring stuff out. Yeah. It's like making, making things work. And there's so many nuances in her performance as well. You know, like her performance, again, could be quite one note. Yep. But she brings all this other stuff into it, like past pain and things that you can see in her without even them talking about it before they talk about it. And then they do talk about it, but it's really interesting moments. Mm. And the reason that she decides to make decisions are, are generally understandable reasons. I love that scene where she, where he's like, every day when we get to this point, you die. Oh, well, well that's another sort of turning point that there is a really good scene. She's like, how many times have we done this before? And That's the bit where it's like it seems like it's going to be romantic, but it turns out she's just figuring him out. Right? She's he's all like attentive and nice and stuff, and she's like, oh, "I can't even believe you've done this to me." And um, she's really yeah. angry about it, and so and rightly so. And so he solves that by not involving her the next time around, and and taking the helicopter himself, and then working out that 
in fact, that was a dead end. Yeah. And, st- and then they have to start again the next time. Yeah. And it was like, it was this really sort of interesting, like after that, he decides to just shut everything off and not help anybody. Yep. And just try and get it done, which was a really nice moment. And then it turns out that that's not what he needed to do. What he needed to do was team up with people and it was all about connections. And that was uh-huh. every little like. Making use of that team. Right. Like every little moment of it felt earned. Mm. He tried doing it by himself before and it didn't work. And that's why he discovered the power of teamwork. Like it didn't mm-hmm. feel cheesy because he earned that. Right. Well, that's why um, I don't even remember what movie this was a few weeks ago where I was annoyed with it because there were no sna- stakes. Oh, with Monuments Men a couple of months ago now. Mm. I felt like this. there were stakes every single time. He There were real problems that the real characters in the real world of this movie had to fix. And that's why the ending is so disappointing. Yeah. Because it erases them. Mm. And it does make it feel like it's earned. They earned those stakes. Yeah, the ending does feel like a bit of cop-out. There's this kind of real genuine pathos in it. Mm. Like you really sort of, not in Tom Cruise, but in everybody else. Right? Like there's real, like you, you really care about what Emily Blunt's going to do, what Rita's going to do. She is somebody who, she's just like, you cannot take this decision from me. You're trying to take this decision from me. I know you've lived it a hundred times before. This is the first time I'm living it and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Stop mm. trying to take that away from me. And even at the end, she does that. Yeah. And I felt like take making the ending a reset takes that away from her because he's like, no, no, I'll distract the the mimic and yeah. she goes cut it out i'm going to distract the mimic like this is my job to do i'm run better at running than you are and we're both going to die anyway which takes you back to takes us back to what you said earlier this doesn't pass the bestel test but it is quite feminist because we have this character who has all this agency she has so much agency and they take it it's like the plot ends up taking it away from her rather than not even tom cruise gets to take it away from her yeah. The beach is so well used. Uh-huh. Sand blowing everywhere and all that sort that's great. Mm-hmm. Um that is that's why I said saving private Ryan. It's all that well, all that stuff on the beach is so saving private Ryan. Right. right? Well, like that's the whole but I mean there is that whole other subplot and the whole reason they released it on, on the D Day anniversary of if you were thrown into this tomorrow and you know, don't laugh at us, this could happen. This has happened before. This is likely to happen again. Mm. How would you cope? And that yeah. was, it's an important message. It's an important way of putting you into it because we are Tom Cruise. We are like these cushy people who don't go to fight. We're not soldiers. Yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. But also, um, I just suddenly realized it also reminded me of Lost when the plane crashes. Yeah. And like somebody gets sucked into the engine without you expecting it. And people don't give Lost enough credit. But anyway, um, but, you know, there's all this stuff going on. It's there's there's relentless. so much stuff going on. Like the the plane crashes on top of Naked Guy and Naked Guy just doesn't know what's going to happen. No, you know, it, well, it's that sort of like – and then Tom Cruise goes – stumbles shell-shocked into the next encounter where he has to deal with something and he can't get the safety off his gun and they – he Doug Lyman portrays that so well, like that confusion. It's sci-fi, but it is – as all good sci-fi – it's an incredibly realistic portrait of a very real scenario that people could very really go through. Right. Given the so right set of circumstances. Basically, it like it could be a great movie. There's the things that I think think they need to change in order to make it a good movie, a great movie, rather than just an enjoyable one. Cast a Japanese guy yeah. as the lead. Change the ending. Mm-hmm. If 
Rita's going to have her big sacrifice, let her have it, and keep the original title. Oh, yeah. The original title was so much more interesting. Edge of, t- that Edge of Tomorrow, I mean, that could be – I was on the way home in the car. I was like, Edge of Tomorrow could be a teen romance or it could be – a frontier movie, or it could be a, a World War Two movie, or it could be a historical drama. Like it's who came up with that? I... Who came up with that? Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, is that why they used it? The, the, uh, the Scientology marketing because all you need is kills. Sounds slightly wrong, but also great. Mm. Like memorable, even though it's kind of like it's Terrible. kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm. actually, because it sounds dumb. Mm. It sounds dumb, and it sounds like you know, something that's ridiculous, but then at the same time it's so memorable and so catchy and you realise yeah. that it's not ridiculous. I have no idea who came up with the title, but I feel like it was some kind of committee. Tom Cruise. It was, there to- was a committee no. of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise it's has totally clones, some committee at Warner And they Brothers. sat around that table like smiling at each other with the crazy, insane smile that he has. You know how he doesn't smile anymore? Uh, anyway, I think we've... We've gone well over time, but I want to finish with a really good bit of news, which is the weekend box office. Number one, The Fault in Our Stars. Number two, Maleficent. Number three, Edge of Tomorrow, which means the two female-driven movies, one of which is on its second weekend, beat the male-driven movie, and I'm very excited about that. I wonder, genuinely wonder, whether it would have been different if they didn't have Tom Cruise in the lead. I think if... It it would have been really interesting to see if it had actually done better because I think we've got this risk averse like concept, but what they think of as risks are actually paying off. This is one, yeah. This is this movie, like I was talking about before. This is a movie made by committee. This is a movie that does it ticks boxes. It's like Tom Cruise is in it. It's a little bit sci-fi, but it's not enough to scare the audience. It's got someone hot, young, and cool like Emily Blunt in it. It's got a director who knows what he's doing. It's it's it really is a movie made by committee. And I can see all the bits that all the creativity that's underneath it coming up. Yeah. Like I can see those bits and those are the things we liked in it. Well so yeah. maybe if they just took a chance, which is something I've been saying for a while, but if they just decided to do it and did it, yeah, it would make a huge difference. Like they would probably do better. I think the concept the, I think the fact is that audiences want risks. Anyway, shall we wrap up? We should. Um, what are you giving this? I gave uh, All You Need Is Kill. I gave Edge of Tomorrow three and a half stars. Me too. Pretty much the same. Excellent. Cool. All right. If you want to read the show notes on this episode or any of our others or find old episodes or whatever you want to know about us, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's blog where she reviews not all you need is kill, Edge of Tomorrow, that is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. If you want to find us on Tumblr, it is tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. We have a Facebook page and you can also find us on Twitter at screen underscore queens. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.